welcome to Wallegia. Previously, for the past two years, Marley has been away at the Scholomance, a school of sorcery. When she left without permission, the headmaster sent her teacher, Margareta, to retrieve her. On the road, they were attacked by a vampire who killed Margareta, but Marley was saved by the Order of the Dragon. Chapter 11. Nicolay at the Bat Every year, on the 25th of July, the village celebrated the Feast of St. James the Great with a big outdoor meal, dancing, and games. This was, in fact, what they did for most every event. What distinguished this particular feast each summer was the annual game of Oina played between the village and the castle teams. The castle usually lost, which put Domnul Negrescrew in a bad mood until mid-August and typically resulted in orders to scrub every corridor, dust every bit of drapery, and generally clean whatever object Radu happened to be looking at whenever he caught sight of a male staff member who had been on the losing side. Oina was a team game played on a rectangular grass field. Teams took turns being either at bat or at catch. The player who was batting would try to hit a fist-sized ball with a stick and then run down the left side of the field, cross a line at the far end, then run back to the right side toward the start line. The catching players would try to retrieve the ball and then throw it at the runner. The feast was just over a month away, and Eon didn't think the team's chances would be any better this year. He was a fair player. Vlad was quite good. The rest of the lineup, not as much. Kwasi played for the village, and he was fast. Nikolay's father had been a powerful hitter in his day. He loudly shared stories about how the castle had always won when he was young, and probably still would if he were on the team. But, alas, the master of the house was expected to sit out. Instead, he forced his son to play. Nikolay hated Oina. Short and scrawny, he was neither a strong hitter nor a competent fielder. His only athletic virtue was that he was a moderately quick runner. Eon suspected that Domnul Negescrew forced him to play on the team not as much to show that the family was a part of the community as a way to publicly humiliate and shame him for not being tougher. Team practice was supposed to start tomorrow on the field beyond the castle gardens. Mid-morning, Domnul Negescrew summoned Eon and Vlad to his bedroom and dictated a lengthy checklist of preparatory tasks. Get out all the bats and check them for cracks. Last year some of the uniforms had stains on them. Have new ones made if needed. Could any of Count Dracula's men be drafted onto the team? Vlad gently suggested the villagers might think the castle bringing in foreign soldiers was breaking the spirit of the friendly local game. Domnul Negescrew sighed and agreed. Eon was given the job of going down to the field to make sure it was ready for practice tomorrow. When he'd asked what sorts of things he was checking on, Domnul Negescrew had grunted and said, make sure the lines are all the right distance apart, that sort of thing. Eon got the feeling that having to miss coaching their practice was the first major regret of the man's convalescence. Downstairs in the common room, Eon laid out all the uniforms and looked them over. A few did have stains. He set them aside to be made into rags. On the table sat an oina ball the staff had been tossing around whenever Adrian wasn't nearby. It should have been put away. Balls in the house had been forbidden since Cornell had fumbled one last year and broken four bottles of wine. The outside door opened and Eon heard Stefan's voice along with another's. He picked up the ball and flipped it from one hand to the other. When Stefan came in, he threw it to him. The other voice, Eon found, belonged to Nea Kostin, Stefan's father. I haven't heard anything. Maybe Eon has, said Stefan. Bunaziwa, said Eon, greeting the two. Nea Kostin nodded, then removed the wide straw hat he had been wearing. What might I have heard? The old man here, well, began Stefan. Then, lowering his voice, he said, It seems that one of the uh, prisoners we have over in the dungeon is someone he trades with, and he was wondering when, uh, when they might be letting him out. They make a lot of good clothes and a few other things that are popular in other villages, said Nea Kostin. Only with Sinfi, that's the one who's here, with him locked up, I can't buy from him, and his people don't want to deal with me while he's still here, and... 
Just last night, Nikolay had expressed frustration at having the prisoners there. The Order of the Dragon had been handling guard duty, but with them out searching for Marley, Nikolay had assigned some of the deputies from the village to the dungeon. He was still supposed to be in charge of finding Cornell's killer, and was annoyed that none of the prisoners had been able to supply any useful information. Eon didn't feel it was his place to share this with Stefan or his father, however. Instead, he said, I haven't heard anything, but if I were to guess, they'll be released before too long. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have an oina field to pace out. He held out his hand, and Stefan threw the ball back to him. He tossed it in the air to himself as he walked to the stairs. Outside, it was cool, as it had been all summer. In the distance, it looked like dark clouds were moving this way, but for the moment the sun was shining. Eon knew there was no good reason for him to be sent to measure the field. The groundskeepers had painted new lines over the faded ones from last year, and the actual game would be played down in the village anyway, so it didn't particularly matter, but he knew that Domniel Negescrew needed to feel like he was involved in the game, and it was a nice excuse for a walk, so off he went. The most direct route to the field was through the gardens. Eon headed that way, but, as he got into the tall rows of hedges, an uneasy feeling came over him. His heart started beating faster, and his palms began to sweat. He stopped, rubbed the side of his neck, and turned to walk back toward the castle. He'd take the long way around. As he passed the menagerie, Domno Ultiano was there, admiring the small collection of animals. The district governor, whose title was Kamakam, had come to take stock of operations at the castle while Domno Negoscu recovered from the attempt on his life by Nea Eugen. He'd agreed to leave Nicolay in charge, but had decided to stay in town for a few more days to preside over the trial. Say there, young man. Eon stopped and said, Sir, is there anything you need? Domno Ultianu held out his hand. Eon tossed him the ball. You're on the castle's team? I am. I was just going to check on the field. I was quite the player myself in my day. I told Radu that if he needed a hand, I could do some coaching. He threw the ball back to Eon. Well, we could use all the help we get. Practice is tomorrow afternoon. Eon bowed and went to check on the field, which was perfect dimension-wise. The next day it was raining, and showing little sign of stopping. Practice had been called off, but Nikolay had come downstairs with a bat in hand late afternoon anyway. Eon met him at the entrance hall. Go get the basket of balls, said Nikolay, then asked Domno Otiano if he could come give me some batting pointers. The bedroom that Kamakam had been given was called the Blue Room. The linens, bed curtains, and window dressings were all a dark shade of blue. They had been chosen to match the colors in a painting that hung over the fireplace, depicting a scene from a Wallachian legend. The door was open. Domno Otiano stood at the window, looking out at the pouring rain. He turned when Eon approached. What position do you play? Return side, answered Eon. He turned back and appraised the rainstorm. I suppose there won't be practice today. Shame. I was looking forward to it. On the contrary, sir, Nicolay hoped you'd come down. Oh, some indoor drills, perhaps. From what Radu has said, the lad can use the practice. Domno Ultiano took a few steps toward the door, then stopped at the painting. I've been meaning to ask about this. Manoli the mason, said Eon. Yes, yes, and his wife, just before she was sealed inside the wall. According to the story, the founder of Wallachia, Radu the Black, had ordered the stonemason named Manoli to build a monastery along the Argish, so noble and beautiful that its equal shall never be found. The builder went to work, but found the land to be cursed. Every morning when he awoke, the previous day's labors had crumbled in the night. After four days of this, a voice told him he must wall up inside the first woman he saw. The next morning, a figure appeared in the distance and, as it approached, Manoli recognized it as that of his wife, Flora. He prayed for something to delay her, for someone else to come in her place, but when she arrived, he found he had no choice. He told her that they'd play a game to amuse themselves while he worked, and have her hide inside the walls while he pretended to seal her in. She realized it was no game when it was too late, and Manoli sealed her in despite her cries. When Prince Radu came to admire the completed monastery, he assembled all the master masons at the top of the scaffolding and asked if any of them could have built a finer structure. When they said they could, 
he had his men knock over the supports, and they all fell to their deaths, so that now there were no living builders who could create a temple surpassing it. Only Manoli survived, clinging to a projected carving, until he heard the faint voice of the dying Flora calling to him from within the walls. He fell, and on the spot where he landed, a fountain of bitter salt water now flows. The painting in the blue room depicted a landscape with the half-finished monastery beside the river. Manoli, in the foreground wearing a blue caftan, stood laying a stone brick on the wall. On its other side was Flora wearing a dress in matching blue. She had a smile on her face that was just changing expression from playful mirth to shock as she realized what was happening. Grim story to hang up, isn't it? said Domnul Ultianu. She thinks she can trust him, but she doesn't realize what she's walked into. Ian shrugged. Domnul Negerscrew traces his lineage back to Radu the Black. He likes stories about him. The older man let out a chuckle. Does he now? He held his belly and laughed. By my estimation, for all the nobles who claim to be the flesh and blood of old Voivode Radu, he must have had a hundred sons. Eon brought Domnul Oltianu down to the entrance hall, where Nicolay was waiting. As they came down the stairs, Adrian crossed in front of them and went into the great hall. Is there a covered spot where we can practice? asked Domnul Oltianu. I was thinking right here, said Nicolay. Standing with his back against the door in the entrance hall, he tossed a ball into the air and hit it. It sailed halfway across the room, past the staircase, and rolled to the balcony door. Adrian made a loud noise and emerged from the hall to see what had happened. Nicolay picked another ball from the basket. He threw it into the air, swung, and missed. He cursed and tried another ball, missing it too. On his third try, he sent the ball flying to the left. It struck the wall between the library and the hall, bounced toward the staircase, and rolled back toward Nicolay's feet. Domno Oltiano descended the stairs, picked up a ball, and threw it so that Nicolay could hit it. Nicolay missed, and the older man then started to give him advice on how to stand. The next successful hit knocked over a lit candelabrum, drawing a wince from everyone watching and a devilish cackle from the batter. Another ball knocked over a bronze jar that Adrian dove to catch before it hit the hard floor. The more mayhem the event caused, the better Nicolay's spirits seemed to be. After a few more near-destructive at-bats, a ball flew straight at the balcony door and struck it with a loud thump. Nicolay cocked his head and said, Come on! He took the bat and ran out to the balcony. Domno Oltiano and Ion, carrying the ball bucket, followed. Adrian remained inside and started to put the room back together. Pointing down the mountain to a house in the village far below, Nicolay said, Think I can get one end of the chimney? There was, Eon thought, no chance whatsoever that Nicolay could hit a ball any meaningful portion of that distance, but Nicolay tried anyway. Standing in the rain while the others watched in the doorway, he shouted, Look out below! and swung the bat as hard as he could. He missed the ball, and the wet bat slipped from his hands and clattered against the stone railing. Eon was about to go pick it up when Adrian appeared in the doorway. Oh, what is it, said Nicolay. Don't give me that look. There's nothing out here for me to knock over. They've come back. The Order of the Dragon. They found the girl. It took Eon just a second to put together what Adrian meant. Marley was coming home. She was safe. He ran inside to find Sasha of the Order of the Dragon, dripping wet, crossing the entrance hall for the west corridor. Where is she? he asked. Herr Eon. I was just going to report to my captain. We connected with Wilhelm and Friedrich on the road across the river. They told us to ride ahead. They have the baker's daughter and a coach and will be here in a few hours' time. Everyone came inside and were standing behind Eon. Sasha looked at them for a moment, as if expecting instructions. When none spoke, he clicked his heels and headed for the corridor and toward the tower stairs. Nicolay stepped forward, pushing past Eon. A few hours, I guess we'll, he began. Domno Otiano spoke over him. Her family will want to know, he turned to Eon. You know them, young man? I do, sir. Good. Go down to the village and fetch them. I'll receive them in the hall, said Adrian. Not the hall, the parlor, said Nicolay, trying to assert some notion that he was in charge. Very well, said Adrian. Marley's father and the girls were just starting to fix supper when Eon arrived, driving one of the castle's coaches. Mnei Mate tried to insist that Loreline and Dora stay home. 
Your sister will be exhausted. We don't know what she's been through. No, you'll stay here. Loreline looked past her father, ignoring him completely, and picked up a pretzel from the shelf. She tossed it to Eon, said, Here, driver, for your trouble, then started to tie a scarf around her head. Dora did the same, and they walked out the door. Adrian received them at the gates and escorted the family into the parlor. Soon, Oana brought up some hot tea. She was followed by Stefan, who had a tray of cabbage rolls, tomatoes, onions, cheese, and a plate of ginger cookies. He saw Eon make a move toward them, and quickly noted that they were for the girls. Domno Otiano came down after a time to say a few words to Neamate. He took one of the cookies for himself after sitting down. Eon, standing behind him, made a face at Dora when he did, prompting her to burst into laughter and drawing a sharp elbow from her sister. Neamate frowned, but didn't admonish them further. It was when the governor said something about Nikolai keeping him apprised of the situation that Eon realized the younger Negrescu had been absent. He excused himself and climbed the main stairs to Nikolai's bedroom. He knocked on the door and, listening, heard some shuffling from inside before a thin, nasal voice said, What is it? It's Eon. I thought you'd want to know. The door opened. Nikolai smoothed his hair back and admitted Eon, giving a short glance to the corner of the room containing the closed-up tower entrance. Is everything set for the transfer tomorrow? Hmm? Marley's return had been the only thing on Eon's mind. After a moment, he realized what Nikolai was asking about. Oh, yes. The Judet will send his men up. Tuesday, the day after tomorrow, Eugen would stand trial for attacking Domnul Negerscrew. It had been decided that Radu, as victim, should not preside. The Judet, the village magistrate and mayor, would send his deputies Monday morning to take Eugen to the courthouse jail until the proceedings. Was there something else? asked Nicolet. The Count's men said they expected Marley's coach a little after sundown. Domnul Oltiano was down with the family, and I thought you might want to— You thought? said Nicolet. His temper was up. He clearly thought there was something he was supposed to have been doing that Eon should have told him about. Some inferred breach of protocol that would, in his mind, lower his standing with the Kamakam. Nikolay raised his hands up, then raked his fingers through his hair. He paced around the room, exhaled deeply, then said, Have someone tell me when the carriage comes. In the parlor, Neamate was walking in circles while Loreline tried to throw olives into Dora's open mouth. Eon entered the room while one was midair. Dora looked up to see him, causing the olive to miss and roll along the floor toward the fireplace. Oops, said Dora. She turned to pick it up, but Loreline said, Don't bother, Theodora. We're in the castle. They have people to do that sort of thing. Pretending to have just noticed Eon and pointing to the errant olive, she said, Oh, here's one now. Boy, oh boy. Eon wasn't quite in the mood to fool around, but thought about how worried the girls must have been about Marley. He picked up an olive and threw it at Loreline. As if she'd been prepared for, Loreline dropped to a knee, opened her mouth, and caught it. Taking it back out of her mouth, she said, Ta-da! See, sister? That's how it's done. Dora broke into applause. Eon said, Amazing reflexes on those girls, Nea. Neamate had not been paying attention. He was standing by the window, looking through its metal bars out toward the driveway. It was raining hard now and dusk was approaching, so one couldn't see very far, but he kept pacing around the room and returning to that spot. Eon excused himself to take care of a few chores downstairs, including tasking Stefan with informing Nicolet when the coach arrived. Just under an hour later, he was coming into the butler's pantry by the main gates when Adrian entered and said, I was upstairs watching. They're coming up now. Eon wanted to run in and tell Neamate and the girls, but realized he shouldn't let them go out until Nikolay was there. He said, Stefan's supposed to. I already sent him up, said Adrian. A few long minutes later, Nikolay came down the stairs. He seemed put together, with none of the edge from earlier. They went into the parlor. Nikolay started to speak, but the family anticipated what he was going to say and rushed out past him, into the entrance hall, and through the front door. They all stood just inside the gate, out of the rain, as the carriage Margareta had left the castle in four days prior pulled up. Friedrich and Wilhelm were both seated on the driver's perch as they approached. Sasha stepped forward as it slowed to a stop and opened the door. 
He reached into the dark cabin, and a small, dirty hand reached down to grasp his. Marley, looking tired but not weak, emerged and, with the guard's help, climbed down to the ground. Naemate ran forward and lifted his daughter off her feet. Her cane fell to the ground. Sasha picked it up and held onto it. Loreline and Dora rushed forward and joined their father in the embrace. After a minute, Naemate said, Oh, my darling, you're getting wet. Here, here. He moved them back under the cover of the roof. Nikolay cleared his throat and said, Marley, welcome back. And to you, he turned to the guards who were now getting down from the carriage. Thank you for finding her and bringing her back safely. We... Nikolay was interrupted by the appearance of a figure from inside the castle. A solid man with a silver mustache, wearing a dark uniform, walked briskly past them and up to Marley. He said, Fräulein Marley, is it? I am Evgeny, captain of the Order of the Dragon. He bowed, then said, It pleases me that my men were able to come to your aid. The Count is away at the moment, but, with your permission, he turned to Neamate, he asked that your daughter come calling some evening when is convenient, so that he can be reassured that she is well. Neamate didn't seem to know how to respond. We will send a driver, of course, said Evgeny. Of, of course, said Marley's father. Marley looked up at the guard captain and said, Herr Capitan, thank you. Your men delivered the Count's message. Tell him, she paused briefly, that I accept. Evgeny nodded, then spun around and walked back inside. Marley and Loreline were holding hands. Their father had his arm around Dora, who was looking up and admiring the castle's large gates. Ion saw Nikolay turned to them and opened his mouth to speak, but he didn't say anything. He could tell his boss hadn't liked being upstaged by Evgeny. Eventually, he turned to Stefan instead and said, Take the carriage back to the stables. No, said Friedrich directly. Nikolay clenched his jaw. He spun to face Evgeny, whose man had just contradicted him. Er, that is, we can take care of it. There are some things to unpack. He turned to Sasha and said, Stay here until we return. Well, I'll go to the stables and get the coach back so I can take you home, said Eon. If you agree, he added, looking to Nikolay for approval. Nikolay finally spoke, saying, Neamate, Eon will drive you and your daughters back home. If there's anything else we can do for you, tell him and I'll make sure it gets done. Without waiting for another word from anyone, he turned and walked back into the castle. As he did, Eon caught a glimpse of Nikolay's expression that made him glad he was going to be elsewhere for a while. He looked like he wanted to murder someone. Hopefully he would have some time to cool down, Eon thought, before he rang for him again. That night, the Order of the Dragon briefed Nikolay and his father on the events of the previous days. Lucia had brought up refreshments at the request of Evgeny, and since no one had specifically told her to go back downstairs, she had lingered in the hall and overheard most of what had happened on the previous days. By breakfast, the entire staff was well informed. The story, as Lucia told it, swearing she missed no detail, was that Margareta, an instructor at Marley's Dance Academy, had come under the spell of a vampire. She had lured Marley into a trap, where she was attacked by this vampire woman, but fortunately Wilhelm and Friedrich had come along just in time, though not before Margareta had been killed. It was incredible and unbelievable. Naturally, everyone accepted it entirely. The story spread through the castle and down into the town. Then, up from the town, came an odd addition to the tale, as the very next morning, Father Abraham found the body of a farmer who had also, apparently, been attacked by a vampire. Thank you for listening. This chapter was originally published in April of 20. The story of Manoli the Mason comes from E.B. Mar's Romanian fairy tales and legends. The monastery, the Cortea de Argus Cathedral, still stands. It's not far from where Campana would be. Moina is a real sport that dates back to the 14th century. It's played in a field that's a bit smaller than a soccer pitch. Instead of running in a diamond shape like baseball, players run straight down the left half of the field and then back up the right. There's no historical connection I'm aware of between the Feast of St. John the Great and Oina. I just needed something about a month away. It is true the villagers in Wallachia took most any excuse to have a big festival. Several 19th century Western European travelers made remarks about the principality having more feast days than working days. 
For whatever reason, I wound up mixing around the events of the last few days in the story a bit. They're all back together now. Marley goes off with Margareta. It rains. Abraham goes to visit the sick farmer. Nicolay plays ball. Marley returns. Abraham discovers the farmer has been killed by a vampire victim. You can follow Wallachia on Twitter at WallachiaNet or on the web at Wallachia.net. Next chapter, we'll see Marley and Abraham compare stories, and she'll visit Count Dracula at some point. 